Radio. This is Catholics Read on cradio.org.au. Hello and welcome to this episode of Catholics Read. I'm Luke. And I'm Kiara. And I'm Victoria. And this week we're looking at George Orwell's Animal Farm. Uh, And if you read this book, you'll never see pigs exactly in the same way again. Uh, Now, Kiara, did you want to tell us what's Animal Farm about? Um, uh, Annabelle Farm. Animal Farm is about... Um, is an analogy, essentially. It's an analogy of the events going on in history at the time told through the story of this farm. And the plot basically goes, there are these animals who toil for this human farmer, Mr. Jones, and then one of the pigs, Major, has a dream about when animals will be free from the bondage of humanity and they'll be able to do what they want and live lives for themselves and... Um, great wonderful things and old major dies and then the animals decided to go into rebellion and they drive jones off the farm and start their own farm and um it starts off you know the pigs lead and you know everybody chips in and works and you know it all goes well for a little while and then you gradually see this farm kind of succumbing to the power um the power hungriness of the pigs and the book ends with this very technological spoiler alert. <laughs> the book spoiler alert. If you you know spoiler alert, we are talking about it. The book ends with the pigs making deals with the surrounding farms, and this very technologically advanced farm. It's got a windmill and all sorts of other cool stuff. Um, but the animals are still starving, and they look into they you know they, there's this great scene where they look into this window and observing these pigs, which are wearing clothes and walking on two legs like humans. And they get into a brawl over a poker game. And the pigs and the humans are indistinguishable. Now, you mentioned that it was an analogy for the events in the world at that point in time. But I believe it's pretty much an analogy of a particular part of the world. I know Australia didn't really go through anything like this. Um, hint, hint. The book was published in 1945. So World War Two has just ended and the Soviet Union is on the rise. Stalin is in power and is rapidly taking over the entirety of the communist, you know, communist Russia um, and making his mark on it in Stalinism. So he's killed off most of the original revolutionaries at this point and is just consolidating his power. So really it's a narrative about kind of up until that point and then it sort of goes into a projection into the future through Orwell's view of the Soviet Union. And what the consequences of that kind of power, of totalitarian, of where totalitarianism invariably goes, and it always goes back to what it was originally, which was, tyr- you know, you start with tyranny, and when you go about it in a totalitarian way, you get right back, you're right back at square one with tyranny again. Mm. Now, I find that interesting because uh, at the start of the book, there's this rather stirring speech by Major, uh, who I believe is an old pig, Um, That's correct, is it? Yes. Uh, The stirring speech by this old pig uh, who's on his last legs and he's about to die. Maybe it's a she. I don't know. No, it's definitely a he. Definitely Definitely a he. he. Okay. Not me. Although his name was apparently... His name was... (laughs) His show name was... (laughs) His show name was Willingdon Beauty. Willingdon (laughs) Beauty. That's a very masculine name. (laughs) Um, So he has this stirring speech about how he has this dream. Um, that the animals will one day be able to um, kind of roam free uh, and take over the entirety of England. Um, Of course, the farm is set in in England. 
And he has this memory of this point in time, uh, this song from when they were younger. And it was Beasts of England, Beasts of Ireland. I kind of had this tune in my head of what it was, but this stirring, but stirring the hymn of sorts. Interesting thing to point out is that George Orwell actually tells you what the tune is actually like. And he says... I'm rubbish at knowing it, songs. So. It is a cross between Clementine and La Cucaracha. And that just destroyed any chance I had of even taking this <laughs> song seriously. But I actually continue. don't know the tune of those songs. Yeah, La Cucaracha is La Cucaracha. Okay, I thought so. I don't know how. Uh, I don't know how Clementine. I've how I don't know how that goes. goes. I've forgotten how Clementine goes. But if it's a mixture between the two, it's very entertaining. <laughs> Anything song. with even one percent of La Cucaracha is not going to be. Serious. See, I just imagine. I just imagined in my head, like. Some kind of national anthem, you know, like a very strong... <laughs> I think that's where the, like the, where the Clementine comes in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. So he gives this stirring speech and gives them this hymn and the animals take it up immediately. Um, and they decide, yes, that, that our destiny as animals is to, is to take over this farm, that we will not uh, produce our goods. The fruits of our labour will not go to the greedy humans anymore, but will be our own fruits. And we'll do better than we ever did under the humans. And so this comes this point, of course, when the revolution happens, and it happens quickly, um, that the farmhands abuse the animals and they fight back and eventually just run everyone off the, all the humans off the it farm. It escalates very quickly from a very small act of defiance and then yes. snowballs into this... Some early animals are going, oh, yeah, let's go for it. And they do. In a kind do. of anchorman kind of way, it yeah. escalated quickly. <laughs> it escalated quickly. Yeah, it very, escalated very quickly. <laughs> yes, indeed. And so they're kind of left in this point where, well, what do we do now? And so they make up uh, a set of commandments mm-hmm. of how this new civilization of sorts will be run. And it's called animalism. Animalism, animalism. yes. And they have an ideology behind it. And the spirit of animalism, at least in the initial part uh, of the story, is about camaraderie between animals. And essentially has seven, I suppose, rules that go along the lines of whatever goes on two legs is an enemy. Whatever grows upon four legs or has wings is a friend. No animals, animals shall work clothes. No animals shall sleep in a bed. No animals shall drink alcohol. No animal, animal shall kill any other animal and all animals are equal. So this is probably the first point where I want to kind of look at it in a more deeper analysis. And that is that the, the seven commandments that they described of animalism are quite interesting because I find when you contrast them with from a Catholic perspective or from Christian or Jewish perspective, uh, the Ten Commandments that are given to Moses and to the people of Israel and form the basis of really the law that's written on the human heart. The problem is that they're all very much based on this idea that the basis of them is a hatred of humans. The basis of it is a you will not be like humans, except for that last one, which is that all animals are equal. Every other commandment is based on you will not be like humans. Now, the problem that I find with this is that it's a negative basis for a civilization. um, And it really speaks something about how we as humans, when we try to make laws uh, that are not laws that are written on the human heart, they're ultimately going to be deficient. Uh, The the basis of the laws written on the human heart that that St. Paul talks about are this notion of the good, are this notion of our commitment to God, who is the perfect good, and that our behaviour is based on that. So when we say that, you know, 
there are, of course, many negative, I guess, commandments within the Ten Commandments, but all of these are based on the good. So, you shall not murder is based on the dignity of the human person, which comes from being made in the image and likeness of God, for example. Um, and they all, ultimately, from a Christian perspective, come from this idea of love of God and love of neighbor. Now, animalism in Animal Farm doesn't have this. Its basis is on you will not be like a human. Humans are bad and you must not be like a human. Now, ultimately, these fail. Um, throughout the book, the commandments start shifting. Are eroded. They're, well, they're, they're, eroded. Not, they're, they're not almost even eroded, er- they're justified. So it was like, yeah, yeah, this, this rule still stands, except for this. So it's no animals shall sleep in a bed. Change to with sheets. So yeah. it's just yeah. So it, yeah, they, are, they are eventually they are eventually eroded just away. Just to clarify point, that, yeah. sorry that throughout the book the pigs start becoming more and more power hungry and, uh, and start becoming and more, more and more like a human. More and more like a human, and so they start saying, "Oh, but except so." For example, the sheets one. The pigs start sleeping in the humans' beds that they left behind, and the rest of the animals are thinking, "Well." I thought that that's what the commandment said. And they go back to the commandments and see that it's been changed. Unbeknownst to them, they figure, oh, we must have read it wrong because they can't read very well. Yeah, they're not as like literate as the leaders. And, of course, it now says, uh, no animal shall sleep in a bed with sheets. And this slowly happens with pretty much the rest of the rules until it eventually becomes an absolute farce. It falls mm. into um, this rule that means really nothing, which is all animals are equal but yes. some are more equal than others. Some are more equal Which is than chilling. others. Yes. And so, yeah, I think what's really interesting about this from a Catholic perspective is this notion of when we as humans abandon this basis of love, when we attempt to try and build a civilization, build a culture, build a set of commandments that are based on something that is not God, when we try to supplement or substitute, rather, God with something else, and in this case... Hatred, hatred of a certain certain group of people, it's ultimately going to fail. It essentially ignores the notion of original sin. It essentially ignores what is truly good and replaces it with something petty, uh, which is that humans are bad. Now, I think this speaks something else about our culture today, and it's a failure to see what actually is evil, that it's not persons who are evil it's the actions that they do that the problem with a person's sins is not necessarily them as a person we of course have the stain of original sin but it's not because they are for example um, in this case a human it's not because they are a human it's because of the actions that they've done and so within animalism, there's no concept of redemption or forgiveness for the humans. It's the humans that are terrible and bad, and it's because they are human that they've done these evil things. Um, ironically, this goes full circle in the end, and the pigs just take on all the terrible behaviours that the humans had and justify them. And so it all comes to nothing. Uh, the, uh, the other thing, too, that is to note in term, from a political perspective, which is, uh, um, which is my background... And the thing to note about the Ten Commandments is with that negativity, the negativity implies an absence. Ultimately, the tyrannical structure that the farm was originally under, under Farmer Jones, was, you know, left a power vacuum. And what happens to a power vacuum, it eventually gets filled. And unless there is a 
real genuine groundswell of intelligent people who are willing to share leadership and be have genuine checks and balances then you know like in like in a democracy and as messy as democracy is we all know you know it does it is so far the only system that has been able to um prevent tyranny as we, you know as we understand it now some people might argue against that but you know, for the most part, we do not live in a situ- We do not live in a situation it's like Soviet better. Russia. Mm. It's done slightly better. Um, I think Winston Churchill had a great line: "Democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the others we've tried." <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love that guy. Um, and so that's, and ultimately, that's what that was the greatest irony in the beginning of these revolutionaries who were starry-eyed and had this wonderful vision for the future. They couldn't bring it to bear because essentially power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. The pigs right from the beginning had absolute power at first by necessity, you know, be, you know, at first by necessity because they were the most intelligent, they were the most able to read, they were the m- most capable to lead. But then it just became about maintaining the power of the one pig, Napoleon, who's I think a slight bit of irony in terms of the choice of naming there, since the, 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 the real Napoleon tried to take over Russia and never succeeded, so now he is a pig and rules an animal farm. Um, I don't think that's an actual thing George well, Orwell did, but then again, authors are intentional, as you would know. Yeah. Actually, I'd really like to add that um, since Kiara's come from a political perspective, I'd like to come from a literary perspective. And in terms of... I suppose, orientating a society around um, what we are not um, in the negative, um, you know, it goes into the whole forming your identity from the, um, from the other, um, making sure you are not the other. And, you know, this theme comes up all the time in literature in terms of it comes up in the bluest eye, um, it comes up in train spotting. In both settings, basically, the other basically identify themselves by what they're not in terms of the other people. So in train spotting, it's the... Um, Scottish in terms of the English in the bluest eye it's um, the black Americans in terms of the white Americans I suppose and um, basically it's it's a very negative attitude and it forms low morale and really in the end there's no positive identity it's really we're not this we're this or if they say we're this yeah we're gonna be like this but worse and I guess George Orwell is starting this or following on from this it's definitely a chain throughout literary culture but it just it leads to negativity. You need to support your identity on positive things, not what you're not, what you want to stand for on positive things, as Luke said, like love mm. um, in the Judeo-Christian tradition, I suppose. So it's just an interesting thing to point out. The other thing to note, too, is in the context of when this book was written, this book is prophetic. Like, we look back at it now. This is the post-Soviet era, really, that we're living in. The way that George Orwell described... The end, you know, the way that George Orwell constructed the ending has just proven to be absolutely prophetic in terms of the collapse, the Mm. you know, the collapse of the Soviet Empire in the late eighties to you know, you know, nineteen eighty nine, ninety to ninety one. What happened in communist Russia is it's so it's so uncanny. Like it's, and I mean, I've spent quite a bit of time, you know, studying the collapse of the Soviet Empire, and I'm just, and I, and I literally, you literally see it in the last chapter of Animal Farm, but told through the eyes of animals, and it's just, you know, like this is this is this is, and no one believed this would happen in 1945. Mm. The Soviet Union was the most powerful thing next to America 
you know, there was, you know, everybody thought that America and the Soviet Union were eventually going to come head to head and it was going to be World War Three, not they were just going to collapse in on themselves quietly because of the, you know, because they couldn't stand. They, they couldn't stand anymore economically and politically and ideologically. They had nothing left to stand on because they had eroded everything they stood for for the sake of power. I'm interested, though, Kiara, when you talk about uh, the, 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 the last chapter's prophetic, of course, in the last chapter, Animal Farm doesn't collapse. Um, I'm just interested in what you're talking about there because I not an expert on the collapse of the Soviet Union. But um, it seems to me that from reading Animal Farm, um, it would look like that the best analogy in the real life, I guess, parallel to Animal Farm would have been that the Soviet Union would continue. It would just be a giant capitalist nation that pretended it was communist. I think that I'm possibly going way outside of my area of expertise here, but it kind of sounds more like China to me. Than the Soviet Union, and you could be you could be right, but in a way you can also see how I think I think what I think uh, to clarify I think um, what he's kind of is the ideological collapse because essentially that is what has happened in China. China has survived by you know because it's got such a ridiculous economy and that has been able to sustain this power structure. That, that you know, it's been able to sustain this power structure, and essentially they have said, "Look, we can't, you know, we can't do this by the book. By the we can't do this by the little red book. We have to reinvent it." And but also the Soviet I, the Soviet Union also was like that for a while. It seemed that it would continue, but in a more capitalist sense, like in the in the eighties with Glasnost and Perestroika and Gorbachev, um, it seemed like it would continue, but it didn't. It collapsed in on itself, and China has been so far been the only, you know, country to kind of defy that pattern because you know they've taken steps to be more capitalist in the greatest irony of things. But even then, I don't think the Chinese Communist Party will last forever. It can't last forever, mm. and the same in Vietnam. Vietnam is still communist, mm. FYI. Mm. <laughs> but the only true totalitarian state left in the world, I think, is in this kind of style, is North Korea. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even Cuba is not is not really like that. Oh, uh, Raúl um, Castel is Ca- Raúl Castro, not Castel Castro is um, in talks with America about some bilateral trade agreements. There you go. Yeah. They might be having Cuban cigars in America. <laughs> I, well, not that they never left. <laughs> <laughs> Illegally. Legally. Um, just going back a little bit, though. I, something that I find really fascinating about the, the notion of the commandments and animalism is that I think it's also um, based on this notion of fear, a theme that keeps coming back again and again, mm. is that the pigs keep justifying uh, their further and further encroachment uh, on the liberty of the rest of the animals and on, I guess, the original ide- I- ideals uh, of animalism. Um, is this notion of, well, actually, it is even embedded within the original ideals of animalism, is this notion of fear um, that you can do something because of fear for something else. And so it keeps on coming back again and again is, well, Mr. Jones might come back, so we have to do this. You need to work harder because Mr. Jones might come back. You need to make this sacrifice because Mr. Jones might come back, etc., etc., etc. I think that's really interesting, um, and you can pull me up on this, Kiara, because it may just be Luke reading American conservative blogs and not really checking it against it. <laughs> Actually, well, no, this isn't even necessarily a conservative thing. It's on both sides of politics over the last 10 years in the United States that the American Constitution um, 
has become quite eroded through firstly terrorists uh, and about this notion of, well, we need to be safe. And so we need to get rid of your rights. And it's not just under Obama now uh, in terms of religious liberty or in terms of um, your security of your uh, or privacy, rather, of your digital identity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But also under Bush, um, these notions. And there were plenty of people back then, uh, not least of which... Michael Moore and those kinds of guys that were trying to call call out George Bush uh, and now kind of their ideological opponents now doing the same thing with Barack Obama. Be that as it may, um, there may be commentaries on that and I certainly am not an expert in it. But from my perspective, what it looks like is that most of these encroachments or claimed encroachments on people's freedom and people's rights are justified by this notion of, well... You don't want the terrorists to attack, do you? I mean, America is very much scarred, and rightly so, by the horrors of September 11. But I think that something that Animal Farm looks into in in an interesting analogy is that through their scars of Mr. Jones and the way that he would treat the animals, that has been a justification for the removal um, of their rights and a removal of their quality of life to a situation where it's way worse than it was before. And it's simply out of fear. Yeah, there's a really good uh, example where um, Napoleon has now said that there can be no more Sunday meetings because at Sunday meetings, that's where you have your say, you vote on certain things that are put forth to the um, all the comrades, all the animals. And so there's just been a little announcement by Squealer, um, the propagandist, that there are no more Sunday meetings um, because you don't want Jones to come back, do you? And stuff like that. There's really no reasoning. And they, um, I'll quote directly from here. Certainly the animals did not want Jones back. If the holding of debates on Sunday mornings was liable to bring him back, then the debates must stop. And that's the sort of thinking that pervades the whole um, book. Just sort of they get given more orders and they say they'll, they'll take it really because they're motivated by fear. Mm. Um, but not just that. The other, the other critical thing too is ignorance. Yes. That the pigs use to their advantage. Now, someone who is just will not use someone's ignorance against them. But the pigs... You, the pigs and, and initially, the pigs try to educate the animals as best they can and to stop them being ignorant, but they give up eventually for whatever reason, and then they start using the animals' ignorance against them. So that's why they're able to suddenly make additions to the Ten Commandments, because the animals can't... Wouldn't know any better. Wouldn't know any different, because they couldn't really read properly anyway. And... Um, and that was a thing that communism did all the time. When it couldn't educate, it just exploited people's ignorance. When it couldn't, you know, when... And again, it's what all totalitarian regimes do. When you can't... And even democracies are guilty of this too, quite frankly. Where there is ignorance, people exploit it. And ignorance breeds fear. They both go hand in hand. And that is just... That is that is far too often exploited. I think that's absolutely true. I mean, even just today, you know, when I was doing research for a news story here at Cradio, I decided to check Twitter to see if there was any discussion on something that was happening currently. And just to see how something like Twitter, uh, how it's shortened the concept of argumentation to, you know, 180 or 160, 140, 140 characters. Thank you, Kiara. You're welcome. Is that it's meant that what would be long thought out normal arguments that would people would have with you know layers of reasoning to try and get to a point have been shortened to a punchline 
you know, and so now it's the snappiest punchline. People don't even want to think of the reasons. They just want to see, you know, what seems like the best way to rile us up or what seems like, you know, yeah, that sounds like X, Y, Z would do that. Well, and- you saw snappy punchlines. A lot of the time you just see vitriol and swearing and exactly. ad hominem attacks. Exactly, exactly. And I think With that- terrible grammar. <laughs> Sorry. I think, the, I think in the same way, you know, we might consider ourselves to be free simply because we have, you know, these concepts of freedom and I can, you know, go out and do what I like, etc., etc. Really, intellectually, in our state, in our culture, are we really that free? You know, things in animal farms seem rather eerie, this notion of uh, our our ignorance being exploited. You know, the notion that How many people within our culture even understand, you know, events that happened 20, 30, 40 years ago uh, or even 400 years ago, for example, that led to the ideologies that we have today? You know, if we don't understand history, if we don't understand the evolution of ideas, then we kind of just take for granted that things have always been the way they are. And we take for granted... Uh, that the basis of a lot of our 140 character arguments are how things have always been. And the reason why people disagreed with that in the past, say on marriage or, uh, or abortion or things like that, are because they were idiots or because they were oppressed. Um, and that's not necessarily the case. The skill to intellectually engage with something is completely lost in our society. I think if you're with the majority, you're smart. And if someone's speaking up, you know, they're obviously oppressed or stupid or, you know, being brainwashed or whatever it is. Only if you disagree with them. Yeah. (laughs) Only if you disagree (laughs) with them. And I mean, we we could talk about this all night, but I think this is precisely something that's brought out in Animal Farm is that we can sit here and say, oh, you know, how terrible was the Soviet Union? How terrible is North Korea? How terrible is China? How terrible is Vietnam? Or whatever other communist regime you want to think of. And it can be applied to so many other things. You know, we think, oh, the the people in the Middle East are so oppressed and, you know, the people in Africa are so ignorant and da-da-da-da-da. We can think all those silly things all we like, but if we don't sit and reflect upon ourselves, we're ultimately the fool (laughs) in in all of this. Um, And so I guess we're running out of time. Um, So... (laughs) I guess just to, we could talk about this, you know, all night. As I said, there's so much that we can talk about in just this tiny little book. It's really not that long. And I guess the way that I'd probably want to finish is to talk about that we may have given the impression uh, in this that George Orwell was really just mainly trying to give, I guess, the Soviet Union a bit off the hook because it wasn't the, the basis of communism wasn't that bad. The ideas were okay. You know, it was just the fact that it all went really bad and and Stalin took over and that kind of thing. I don't necessarily think that's the case here. I mean, as Catholics, we need to understand, or as really anyone, we need to understand that the problems within communism are found within the ideology itself, within the problem itself, within, as I was kind of speaking about towards the start, the basis is problematic because it starts at the wrong point. It doesn't start with the human person. It doesn't start with the good. It starts with this notion that work and labour are the ultimate goods that we should fight for. I mean, I know I'm, I'm generalising here and I'm completely uh, not paying the, the intellectual credit to Marx uh, as, as much as I should. But I guess what I want to try and get across is that 
we need to understand what the problems were in the basis of communism and then apply that to our own societies, apply that to capitalism, apply that to Western liberalism um, and see what are the problems within the basis there and how can we, from a Catholic perspective, improve those? Because the while the solution that communism provided is certainly not the solution at all, it's one of the biggest abuses of human rights mm-hmm. and has caused the death of millions. And I'm not kidding, millions. Stalin killed more people than Hitler did. But the questions are still really relevant. Why are people not equal? Why are some people poor? Why are people exploited? Why are why are there rich people and poor people to begin with? Those are all still really relevant questions that, you know, will not go away. And what we have a responsibility to do is to, you know, think about how we can bring justice and peace and you know dignity for all which is what which is kind of what marx tried to do but didn't really do it in the right way and the people who took up his ideas certainly went about it in the wrong way mm. um which is probably a which is probably a very controversial thing to say actually here we go <laughs> but, <you know. laughs> um. and just to add to that the book basically asks you to meditate on the notion of freedom. What is freedom and how free are we? And I'd like to just point out that I think I was on a retreat or was in a homily or something like that, but a really interesting thing and um, crucial thing to consider is the fact that freedom isn't doing whatever you want to do. Freedom is having the choice to do what is right. And towards the end, the animals don't have that choice anymore their their choices are made for them or their choices are limited and i think when you know high school students say you know animal farm isn't relevant to me in any way i would tell them well meditate on this notion of freedom how free is our society at the moment are our choices being limited in any way and i'd like to point out that i think they are at some point or another um so i guess to wrap up again wrapping up twice uh, I'd probably look at, if you wanted to look at a Catholic critique of communism, um, two really good places to start would be uh, Pope Leo XIII's uh, Rerum Novarum. I apologise for my rubbish Latin. Um, but that was way back in 1898, was it? 1890s, thereabouts. Let's go with that, 1890s. Pope Leo XIII wrote uh, an encyclical in response to the growing uh, ideology of communism and in general uh, in response to the industrial revolution um, which had been underway for About over 100, 100 years, years. yeah, yeah. Mm. and another great book to read uh, is Joseph Pieper who's fantastic german theologian philosopher very heavy influencer of pope emeritus benedict the 16th wrote uh, leisure the basis of culture and that really talks about the problems with the notion of labour and work forming the basis of a human being that is seen in a lot of communist ideology. Um, So if you start with those, I don't think you can go wrong uh, from a Catholic perspective. And I think we'll end it there. We've gone way over time, but that's okay because it's a fantastic book. So thank you, Kiara. Thank you, everybody. And thank you, Victoria. It's a pleasure, thanks. And next time we will be reading lord of the flies hopefully we'll be able to get that done in time uh and we'll be back with you next time here on catholics read so thanks and have a good night bye 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 or day i don't know when you're listening to this but yeah bye (laughs) that was an episode of catholics read from cradio.org.au 